Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. Everybody. It's good to see you this morning. We uh, are entering Holy Week and are so grateful for all that the Lord Jesus has done for us. This morning we're going to spend some time looking at a passage in Scripture of a familiar story at Easter time, the story of the crucifixion. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to tell you a little story that I read this week. There was a, an older fella who decided he needed to get out to the store. So he hopped in his car and off he went. He really was too old to be driving. And as he came to his stop sign, he bumped into the bumper of a big truck in front of him. And uh, uh, stopping the truck and hopping out of the truck was a big burly man who knocked on the window of Grandpa, made him roll down the window, reached in and said, old man, you are going to pay for the damage in this truck. I got a $1,000 deductible, and you are going to hand it over to me right now. He got all flustered, and he said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hit you. Uh, uh, I don't have $1,000. I said, you're going to pay for this damage on my bumper. He said, well, well, let me call my grandson, Ronnie. And Ronnie, he's the one with the dolphins. He can come over here and help. The guy looked at him and said, old man, you're not only shouldn't be out driving, what do dolphins have to do with anything? You're crazy. No, 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 Ronnie can handle it. He'll be over here. I'll call him. He'll come. He'll fix this. So he called Ronnie and he explained the situation. In about 15 minutes, two vans showed up. Ten men in black suits jumped out and beat the living daylights out of the big burly guy. They threw him back in the truck and they said, this will teach you to quit picking on old men. Leave him alone and don't ever think of doing this again. Now get out of here. And off he went. Ronnie walked back to where his grandpa was at and he said, Grandpa, that should take care of everything, but listen, I just wanted to clarify I train Navy SEALs, not dolphins. (laughs) Sometimes we misunderstand. And uh, here's a passage this morning that is often misunderstood. It's been familiar in our culture, but as our culture wanders away from its Judeo-Christian heritage, Uh, perhaps the story is more confusing. So what I would like to do this morning is to read the passage of the crucifixion and then see if we can understand why God put it here for us in the passage here in Luke chapter 23. So let's read this. It's the passage of the crucifixion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is written by Luke. He is the only Gentile author of the New Testament, and he is a physician by vocation. So he's writing from a certain perspective. Let's see what he has to say. When they came to the place called the skull, 
They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So we have the story here of the Lord Jesus being crucified and uh, this word that he says to the thief. Truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. So the scene is set up for us by Luke at a place called a hill called Calvary or uh, the original language, the skull, Golgotha, We've used all three of those terms when we talk about the place where Jesus died. At that place are three criminals being hung for their crimes. At least that's how the people of that uh, day saw it. And the situation is down in front of the cross are the enemies of Jesus. Jesus' supporters are watching from a distance. Jesus' enemies are down front and are hurling insults at him. And they're joined by the thieves on the cross. And you can say, what's happening here at this hill? What is going on at this hill? And I think the reason that God incorporates the story as he does under Luke's writing is because God wants you to see the three viewpoints from the cross through the eyes of the people who were crucified there. Because we can understand the cross better when we take a look at the view of each person being crucified on that cross. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to show you the thief who has the view of the world as it relates to Jesus. I want to show you Jesus and his view of why he was going to the cross. And I want to show you the other thief who sees Jesus very differently from the start of his crucifixion to the end. We might call him the gospel thief. So look at these three viewpoints with me this morning. Let's start with the worldly view, thief number one. Now thief number one is being prosecuted and killed because of the law of the covenant. Now remember that Jews stoned their criminals to death. Romans are the ones who came up with the idea of crucifixion, which is an agonizingly torturous way to die. But because the Jews were under the authority of the Romans, and the Jews wanted these people killed as a way of holding their covenant with God, the Romans were ones who were tasked with killing these three criminals. Now, why would they kill criminals like this? Because their law, found in Deuteronomy chapter 27, which was the fulfillment of the covenant God made with the people, includes both blessings and curses. And so, at the end of the covenant, 
from on Mount Sinai with Moses at the end of the covenant, God says to the people, these are the blessings and these are the curses. And when it comes to the curses, I want you to see what the people of Israel said. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold this words of this law by carrying them out. Now, what's the law? Well, it's condensed in the Ten Commandments, right? And the law of Deuteronomy and Israel is 613 commands altogether. And so what happens at the end of the law? God says, blessed are those who keep this law, cursed are those who break it. And then how did the people respond? Then all the people shall say what? Amen. You know what amen means? You say it at the end of a prayer, right? In Jesus' name, amen. What's that mean? It means so be it. That's the way it should be. That's the way it will be. This is the way. That's what it means. For some of you, you understand that. <laughs> All right. This was the covenant. Blessings and curses. And the people committed to the covenant, what we call the old covenant, had attached to that covenant significant curses. Now, here's a man dying on a cross, being carried out by Romans as he's been apparently convicted of criminal action against the covenant. And notice his response as he's suffering on the cross. And I don't think we want to miss this response because it's really pretty critical. Here's a man who's dying under punishment of criminal activity who has no repentance for his wrongdoing and who looks at Jesus and hurls insults at him. In some way, folks, the reason for this thief being recorded for us because he could have just told us about Jesus, but he doesn't. He tells us about the thieves too. The reason for Jesus and the reason for Luke recording this thief is because he represents an enormous number of people in this world and how they view God and Christ. What is he under? He's under this curse. He's dying on a tree. He has committed criminal activity. And what does he do while he's hanging on that tree? Of my own decisions, I am being crucified. Jesus, if you're really who you say you are, how about getting us down from this tree here? And so the passage says that as he was dying under the punishment of his own sin, judged by the law for his wickedness, there was no repentance in his soul. There was only, Jesus, if you can be my sugar daddy and get me out of this circumstance, that's great. But you know what? You saved everybody else. How come you can't save us too? Do you see? It's an attitude towards Christ of insults and wrong expectations about who God is and what God can do. You live in a world where plenty of people have an attitude towards God and Christ that is anything but repentant and worshipful, right? You see a world which if Jesus can give them a good little thing here and there, hey, you know, I can put up with Jesus. But at the most of the time, when they think about Jesus, they take his name and they say, Jesus Christ, in a way 
that does what? Heaps insults upon the one who claimed to be God himself. Have you ever wondered why when you go to the movies, or when you read a book, or when you watch a television show, the person whose name they take in vain is Jesus Christ and not Buddha? How come they take Jesus Christ's name in vain and not Muhammad? How come they take Jesus Christ's name in vain and not the Dalai Lama? Why Jesus? Couldn't they pick some other religious leader? God's trying to show you in the passage that the world, as Jesus himself said, hates Jesus. Jesus doesn't represent love to them. Jesus represents the person who holds them accountable for their actions, which is what they don't care to give account of. This guy's dying. Do you see him say, hey, I deserve this. God, please, I'm sorry. God, I repent. I was wrong. There's none of that at this thief's cross. There's none of it. There's only Jesus, Jesus Christ. Help me out here, will you? Come on, buddy. And so we have a worldly view of Jesus represented in this thief. And Luke wants us to see it. We should not be surprised when people either simply just push us to the side like this, give us lip service to get out of the way, or are in our face intolerant about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because from the very beginning of his ministry, there were those represented here by this thief who never saw Jesus for who he claimed himself to be, the sinless Son of God and Savior of the world. No, they saw him in a different light. Your neighbors might see him in a different light, or maybe you. But what God wants you to see from this passage of the story of Jesus is that the world has always contained those who see Jesus as someone other than the Savior. Now, there's a second view. It's in Jesus himself. As he hung there, what was Jesus thinking? Why would he do this? Now, I love this stage. Did you love this stage? They took the Jesus sign. This was creative, don't you think? And they put Jesus between two thieves. Isn't that cool? And so we get to preach on the wonderful name of Jesus, and we get to view him also and what he was thinking. So let's take a look, go back to this covenant again, back to the Deuteronomy, back to Moses giving the law. And let's take a look at what the Bible says about criminals and about thieves. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and if you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. All right, now, what was the covenant? It had blessings and it had curses. And one of the realities of the curse of breaking the law is that if you were hung on a tree, you were cursed by God. So why in the world would Jesus willingly and voluntarily go to a place like that where he could be cursed by God? Well, in order to understand why Jesus is hanging there, at least in part, 
you have to understand what Jesus was trying to accomplish. The Bible tells us Jesus was sinless, the only man who lived who's ever been without sin. In other words, if we can wrap our brain around it, Jesus kept all 613 commandments of the law perfectly for his entire life. That's unbelievable, isn't it? That's hard to imagine. I've committed at least three sins today. I think probably more, right? I wake out of bed, and because I'm a sinner, I break the law. I don't want to, but the very nature of my fallenness as a human being means that I don't keep it right all the time. But here's Jesus, the one who the Bible says did keep it right all the time, going to a cross and suffering a curse on a tree that rightfully belongs to me. What was he trying to do? Well, Galatians 3.13 says it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and then he quotes the passage in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Listen, when Jesus came, he came also as a thief. He came to rob the law of its power over you and me. Because you see, when you break the law, you are under the curse of the law and under the power of the curse of the law. And Jesus Christ came here, we're told by St. Paul, the apostle, Christ redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. Who was supposed to be hanging on that tree? Not Jesus Christ. Me. I'm the one that was supposed to be hanging there. I'm the one who has broken God's law. I'm the one who deserved to have the nails put into his hands. I'm the one who should have been had the nails punched into his feet. I am the one who should have been cursed on that tree because I am the lawbreaker. And so are you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes, according to 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What was happening legally at the cross? You see, that's the view that Jesus has. Beyond his love for me and beyond his love for you, Jesus recognizes that in God's universe, justice must be held up. It must be contained. The universe must be just in addition to being loving. And it's the law that was given at Mount Sinai to make the world a just place. Do you ever see injustice in your world? Sure you do, all the time. There's injustice everywhere, right? Injustice everywhere, no matter where you look. And in God's universe, God has a plan to bring injustice to an end and justice to fruition across all of his universe, and he's decided to do that in Christ. And one of the ways that he accomplishes this is by having somebody who is just, who has kept the law, who is not a lawbreaker, to become a substitute for the ones who did break the law. And so this passage in 2 Corinthians says what? For our sake, for whose sake? My sake. God, 
in his great love for me and in order to bring justice to his world because sin, law-breaking, must be punished. He made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that I might become just in God's sight. So this is a passage often called the great transaction. You ever make a trade with your kid? You ever make a trade? Like, if you take the trash out, I'll take you to the swimming pool. You ever make any kind of a trade like that? You know, where you're, where you're bargaining and you have a transaction? If you do this, then I'll do this. Well, here's what God and the Lord Jesus Christ came up with as a plan for eternity. If you will go and make things right in my universe, I will give you the name that is above every name, and I will give you a people that are your very own. And so the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Why? Because there was joy out in front of him. He was willing to become the curse and become my sin and take on my sin in his cross so that he might make me just in the mind of God. So why we call this a legal viewpoint is because all of this happens in the mind and in the courtroom of God himself. The whole idea is that God is the judge who keeps order in his universe. God is the just God who must bring justice to his universe. God is also the loving God who cares about the creation he made. And so his solution, and Jesus understood this, was that Christ could come and he could live as a substitute and he could die as a substitute for me and for you. The just dying for the unjust that I might become just. So as Jesus is hanging there for the joy that is set before him, for the love that he has for my soul, he also is suffering the curse of the law so that you and I do not have to suffer under that curse. We have been freed from the curse of the law. So I like this theologian who wrote this little phrase here. For precisely when the law exerted the ultimate power of its curse, doing its worst to Christ in the weakness of his death, Christ robbed the law of its power to curse others. There were three thieves on those crosses. Two that deserved to be there and one who didn't. But make no mistake, the reason he was there is so that you would not have to be. He took your place. Now, the Bible says that we not only have a worldly view exhibited in the one thief and a legal view exhibited in the person of Jesus, but we also have a gospel view exhibited in the final thief at the cross. Now, according to the Gospel of Matthew, and I want you to look at this because this is important. According to the Gospel of Matthew, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Notice what it says about both rebels that are dying on the cross. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. In other words, at the beginning of the crucifixion, both of the thieves were hurling insults at Jesus. But by the end of the crucifixion, one man 
who was watching Jesus die alongside of him had a change of heart and a change of mind. He went from being a rebel against God, like thief number one, to being a repentant man on a cross who saw something in the suffering of Jesus that caused him to change his mind about Jesus. And it went kind of something like this, I think, that God's grace by which we're saved somehow grabbed a hold of him in that moment on the cross and changed his mind about Jesus so that his trust for eternal life would come from who knows where to in the person who was dying alongside of him. This gift of grace is received by faith, and that faith is what saved him. Now, as he's dying there, I think, I'm pretty sure, because this is how it happens with everybody who changes their mind about Jesus. This, these are similar things that happen for anyone who gives their life to the Savior. It kind of works like this. First, uh, and asking the question, why did he change his opinion first? He saw Christ as the mirror for what he was not. How he deserved punishment and Jesus did not. And until you can see Jesus, you do not see what you actually are. Let me explain this. There are a lot of people who walk through the world, and when they judge themselves as to whether or not they're all right with God, they judge themselves on the basis of what others are like. Well, you know, in my mind, I'm pretty sure I can do this. In my mind, I'm pretty sure I can find somebody whom I deem worse than me. I'm pretty sure I can. Like Hitler, I can... I think Hitler was worse than me. I can find somebody. My brother John. <laughs> Sorry, John, if you're watching. I'm just joking. Right? We can almost always find somebody if we compare ourselves who's not as good as us. And there are a lot of us, perhaps, who come in and re evaluate and validate our relationship with God on the basis of comparing ourselves with something other than Jesus. You know how if you're going to, you ever hear this, say, this saying, uh, measure twice, cut once? You ever, you ever hear that? You've heard that, right? Uh, in other words, you, you better be sure that you're measuring correctly before you make a decision that's going to cause you to have to go back to Lowe's and buy another two-by-four, right? You, you better know that the measuring tape you're using, number one, is correct, and number two, that you know how to use it. And so when the Bible talks about Jesus, it says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, that's the person who begins your salvation, and the finisher of your faith, that's the person who finishes and completes it. So he, here's the contractor, he begins it, and he finishes it. Where are your eyes supposed to be as a person? They're supposed to be on Jesus, right? Because Jesus gives you an accurate picture of yourself, if I look at somebody else who I don't think is quite as good as me, I can feel pretty good about myself. But when I look at the sinless Son of God and see him revealed to me for what he's like and what he asks me to become, I don't measure up. I'm, 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 I'm not there. And you see, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, 
Or until you fix your eyes on Jesus, you can't see just how short you really are in your life. And so if you have your eyes on someone else, you're going to be disappointed at the end of time. Because the judgment you think that God is going to judge you by has been wrong. You've been using the wrong yardstick. The yardstick to measure how you max out with, G- with God is Jesus Christ. No one else. He's the only one who's perfect. He's the only one who claims to be the Son of God. He's the only one who kept the law. He's the one who, of whom God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God evaluates us by the person of Jesus. Do you measure up? No, you don't. Not when you look at Christ. That's what's happening to the thief on the cross. He's got multiple hours as he's suffering in pain to look at the person suffering next to him and realize what? Why is he suffering? Now, we know that the Bible tells us that the reason Jesus suffered is so that I would not have to. And when I look at him and I see him suffering in my place, I not only realize that he's the one who shows me how short I am, I also realize that if he's suffering so that I won't have to, his love for me is more than I can possibly comprehend or understand. So why do we look at Jesus? Because Jesus is the face of love. Jesus is suffering when he shouldn't have. Jesus is paying the penalty that he didn't deserve. Jesus is shedding the blood that should have been mine. So when I'm focused on Jesus, and I ask the question, why is he suffering, and the good news of Christ is proclaimed in my hearing, I realize he's suffering for me. Which then leads you to another thing. Could this man possibly save me? This guy went from hurling insults to thinking that this other guy dying on a cross next to him could save him. Now, he must have had some background of of who Jesus claimed to be. He must have heard the stories of his miracles. He must have heard Jesus proclaim that he was the king. He must have heard Jesus proclaim that he was the Messiah. He had some sense of who Jesus claimed himself to be. And when he saw Jesus dying next to him, asking God to forgive his enemies... Who in the right mind prays that their enemies will be forgiven? Especially when you yourself are dying an excruciating death. And he watches Jesus and he says what? I wonder if this guy can save me. Which leads to his response. Jesus, remember me. Listen, friends. In John 12... Jesus said this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. How was he going to die? He was going to die on a cross. He was going to be lifted up from the earth. He would be hanging on that cross. And he knew that he was going to be hanging there. And here's what he said. When I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. Now, right now, dear friend, we've been talking about Jesus. We've showed you Jesus between two thieves. We've showed you why Jesus went to that cross and stayed there. We showed you the fact that he died in your place and that he suffered the curse you deserve. And we have brought him into your presence and we have elevated his cross in these past few moments. 
And what does Jesus say happens when he is lifted up? He draws you to himself. Why and how? Why? Because you see love exhibited for you in real form. And God, again and again in his word, says, we love him not because we loved him first, but because he loved us first. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son to be the satisfaction for our sin debt. So God loves you. And God wants you to look on the face of Christ hanging there at Calvary's tree. And he wants you to know that he loves you enough that he died for you. Yeah, pastor, but I've done all kinds of crummy things in my life. Yeah, he knows that. He knows that. You think the criminal who finally says to Jesus, remember me, you think he was without sin? He was not going to get a chance to make his life a better righteousness, was he? He wasn't going to be able to hang there and say, boy, when I get down off of this cross, I am going to go to church more often. And I'll probably give some money more often. And I'm going to try to make sure my good works outweigh my bad ones. No. He's hanging there with never a chance to ever get down and make right what was wrong. Right? He's not going anywhere. He's on his deathbed, his death cross. He is not going to leave it and make amends for all of the wrong that he's done. So how in the world is it that he gets to go to paradise? He gets to go because Jesus said so. And for no other reason. Do you understand that if you take a view of morality and religion that says, I'm going to weigh my good against my bad, I'm going to look at my life against somebody who's worse than me, and I'm going to hope that when I get there, it all measures out on the right side, you don't need to do that. That's taking a 50-50 chance on your eternity, isn't it? You don't have to do that. You want to know why? Because Jesus said that he loves you. God says that he died for you. Jesus paid the curse of the law for you. Jesus shed his blood for you. Jesus forgave you, and he forgives all of his enemies. And Jesus simply wants you to do what the man on the cross did. Move from a person dying under the criminal sentence of being a lawbreaker to the person who looks at Jesus and says, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what? What does the Bible teach us about that? That's grace. He didn't deserve it, did he? Did he deserve that? No, he deserved to die. But he didn't die. No, he went, when he did die physically, he didn't die spiritually. No, today Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. And that's the offer from Christ to all who will believe. Not to those who trust their own hope of doing better. Not to those who try to see somebody else. No, to those who look to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner, I deserve to be punished, but you, O oh Jesus, have died in my place. Jesus, remember me. Now listen, Christian, if you've already done that in your life, I have to ask you the question, why you continue to try to help Jesus save you. Why are you doing that? You cannot help the sinless Son of God save you. 
There's nothing you can do as a lawbreaker to suffer the curse he suffered. He suffered it, right? So how is it that God has brought you into his family, and how is it that God loves you? Continually through one thing and one thing only, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf and nothing else. The complete and finished work of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. He sat down at the right hand of God because he said from the cross, it is finished, right? So why do you keep striving to have a life where you try to help Jesus? No, put your faith in Jesus and the Savior who saved you when you called out to him in faith will empower you as you exercise faith to obey him. Don't be trying to obey him to help him save you. Obey him because he already has. Does that make sense? He's already met the law. He's already paid for the disobedience. He's already saved the rebels. Now he's looking for people who will call out to him in faith and say, Jesus, remember me. Nothing matters, the Bible says, except faith expressing itself in love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. How does love get generated? Not by works, but by faith. Look to Christ. Let your faith be increased and let him change the motivation of your heart to love him and follow him in all of his goodness. That's what makes Christianity different, friends. We're not trying to keep a set of laws. We've already had a law keeper who kept them all and one who paid for our disobedience of the ones we broke. No, our message is different because our faith is directed to the law keeper and our trust is in him. And we rest in his finished work. I'm going to close by asking you this question. Which of the three viewpoints at Calvary are you resonating with this morning? Jesus didn't do something that you hoped he would and you've just kind of written him off and now you're hurling insults at him and you're in church today just because somebody wanted you to come and you just were tired of hearing them ask you to come. So you showed up. Or do you have the perspective of Jesus to see that, wow, this is a man who really loved me, enough to die for me? And can that move you to the third cross where you would cry out like the thief, Jesus, remember me? I'm going to close in prayer. And if you've never said that to the Lord Jesus, then I want you to say it this morning. If you've been drawn to the cross and he's drawn you to himself, then here's what I want you to do. As I pray, and as the songs conclude, the worship songs conclude our service, I want you to take out the yes card that's in front of you on the seat back. And in that white spot at the front of that card, I want you to say this. Give me your name so I can pray for you and contact you. But in that white box, I want you to write this. Jesus, remember me. That's all it took for the thief to have the promise of eternal life. And that's all that it will take for you as well. Jesus, now, as we close in song, will you please work in our hearts. Draw to yourself those here today who need it. For I pray it in your name, O God. Amen.
Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.